0: Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on LinkedIn.com/people today. Equity minds. I will say this about investing: everything you do learn is cumulative. What I learned at twenty is equity.
1: Welcome to another episode of Equity Mates, or should I say uh, welcome, dear listeners, to another episode of Equity Mates. Here we observe the fascinating journey of investing, a habitat where beginners or those nearing Warren Buffett's status coexist. Our mission is to guide you through this intricate ecosystem, from the fledgling stages of your first investment to the mature dividends that await. If you are venturing into our auditory landscape for the first time, we extend a warm Welcome now my name is bryce and as always i'm joined by my equity buddy Ren. how are you
2: i'm good
1: now off your feedback from the last week i've gone with someone very specific here
2: oh i was wondering what yeah I was, I, so uh,
1: we're moving into the territory of people rather than themes
2: okay and am i going to know this person
1: yeah 100 and i think the themes will
2: my, uh, uh, let me let me talk you through what i'm thinking okay so I was, it was like a, it was. I was thinking like an AM radio, like an NPR sort of. Okay. Um, uh, uh,
1: you're you're on the right track of presenter in some way. I think some of the words in there. I'll do this one. We here we observe the fascinating journey of investing. Oh, David Attenborough. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well played. Well played. Okay. This is where I'm really going to have to start <laughs> oh, wow. embodying okay. the the person because. Um, Without being able to do the accent, the words are quite important.
2: Yeah. yeah. Well, I think. Um, <laughs> nice work, though. If it's people good. want to suggest uh, oh, yeah. themes for Bryce, <laughs> hit him up in the uh, DMs on Insta. Um, but let's get on with the episode. Yes, I, <laughs> we got a lot to cover. So in
1: today's episode, we're going to cover off the IPO window. Is it opening? We've got a couple of big names that are. Um, that are on the IPO list, and uh, we're going to have a chat about investment bonds. We've had a question come f- through from the community, so we're going to do a bit of a deep dive on what they are and if they're right for you. But Ren, to start with, I've been making some changes to my portfolio. There you go. That's it.
2: Great. Well, <laughs> let, let's get into it. But I think to, to sort of frame this episode and probably the conversation around your portfolio, but I think it's the, the numbers continue to surprise me because – what is happening in the market and the sentiment out there are different. Would you believe me if I told you that the Australian All Ordinaries Index is four percent off its all-time high? No. Well, you should believe me because it's true. The All
1: Ordinaries. Yeah. What about the ASX 200?
2: Great question.
1: It's probably it's it's the same. Yeah, four percent.
2: Yeah, it is just a it's a real reminder that the. Stock market and the economy are two different things and the challenges around inflation and cost of living that we're living through at the moment are really hurting at the moment but the stock market is generally forward-looking and investors are obviously looking past this current moment and they see blue skies ahead with some important caveats. So, the overall market is only down 4%. It hasn't been nearly as bad as people predicted but there have been challenges the small caps index, so smaller companies, the ASX small ordinaries is down about 22% from its all-time highs and the Australian tech index is down about 20% from its all-time highs. So, there's certainly been pockets of pain, but I saw those numbers and they surprised me. So, I thought it would...
1: Down 20%, so uh, the, the Australian tech index.
2: Yeah, ATEC. Yeah. A, a, a
1: uh, a tech, yeah, it's actually up thirty percent year to date,
2: though. <laughs> <Which> is... <laughs> there you go. Well, I mean, the, you you reconcile those two numbers. It's just a reminder of how hard twenty twenty two was. Yeah. But twenty twenty three has been okay yeah. from a stock market perspective.
1: From a stock market perspective, I mean, it's just the the story in the states is the big tech, which we which we know.
2: Like Nvidia and stuff. Yeah, like that. Just, yeah. Just carrying it through. Yeah. So let's get to your portfolio because I am looking through our Google Doc here and I can see a lot of notes. <laughs> it must be nice. Yeah. So
1: <laughs> I'm reviewing. What I, I mean, I constantly have a look at my portfolio. I generally got. I've got the core set up, and I'm just dollar cost averaging into the core. But I've got a lot of what's the word? Not historical, but um. Uh, legacy. Legacy investments. Yep. Yeah, I've got a lot of legacy investments and. Something that still kind of sticks with me around how I construct my portfolio is what Charlie Viola sort of said um, when we had him on as Ask an Advisor maybe four or five months ago around having as few lines as possible in some sort of big investments and just concentrating on that and just constantly building wealth in that to the point where they become quite meaningful. Mm. Having $500 in something, for that to become a meaningful and sort of life-changing investment needs to like 10 or 20 bag.
2: But even if at 10 bagged, it would go to five grand. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And it's like, if you absolutely, if you have high conviction over something and you absolutely nail it, you don't want it to go from 500 to 5,000. You yeah. want it to go from 5,000 to 50,000. Exactly. Yeah. So then
1: you're first, you first, exactly. So then you're either like, well, do I have enough conviction to put 5,000 into this thing? Or am I just putting 500 because I'm like half half a leg in yeah, half a leg yeah because
2: I heard it, uh, someone spoke about it on the pod and <laughs> Exactly, like I yeah, exactly. don't want to miss out or like my mates are in it yeah. I- exactly
1: and then and then on the, the the other side of that is I've got a number of listed investment companies and sort of positions that I've I've got through work and whatnot that we'll go through in a moment that are meaningful but it's like there's serious overlap with those and my core portfolio so I'm in the process and have been over the last few months of selling down and just consolidating into some big core positions so the first thing is the very first stock I've, I've owned everyone knows the story of when i was in sort of year six was when bki brickworks investment limited they have a listed investment vehicle i bought that and uh, have have continued to buy that over the years but it has huge overlap with the asx200 I mean, the top twenty-five holdings are BHP, Macquarie, Combank, NAB, New Hope, Woodside, West Farms, Transurban, Woolworths. Like,
2: yeah, it's a large capital Australian, a large cap, funds, Exactly. I don't know what you expected.
1: <laughs> well, I mean, I back when I bought it, you didn't buy the index. You, these were the yeah. Well, I mean, the,
2: back when you bought it, ETFs didn't exist.
1: Yeah, not to the extent. Yeah, not, yeah, yeah. yeah. So
2: that shows your age,
1: <laughs> big time. The reason I've held it is because of the capital gains on it. But for me, it's. I'd rather have put this into my A200 because the f- management fees on the Lick at the moment are 0.18%. Uh, uh, so it's not massively expensive, but the, the A200 is 0.04%. So you, four times cheaper.
2: But you do have to pay tax.
1: I do have to pay tax, but I do have a number of investments I will sell and have sold that will... Oh, losers l- that will offset it. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So that's the first thing I'm doing. I'm, I've, I've emotionally held on to this because it was the first thing that I've ever bought, but I'm going to get rid of it and put all of that into my A200. The second thing is when I... When I worked at Woolies we got a share employment scheme and so I've built up like a pretty sizable position in Woolworths. It spits out great dividends, but it's not a growth stock. And I just think like what is the company that I want what are the companies I want to own right now? If I'm gonna own single single line companies, I wanna own companies that are gonna grow. And Woolies has done well over the last twelve to eighteen months given the environment we're in. But in terms of where has it gone from two thousand and sixteen to now? It's done well, but it's about 40 bucks at the moment. It's it's not gonna be 200, 300, 400 bucks, I don't think. It's no. just sits there, plugs away, it's safe, it's a blue chip, it spits out dividends. So I think that money can go to better use, so I'm gonna get rid of wow. Similarly, I have Endeavor, because when they did the stocks, uh, when they sold at Woolworths sold the business, I got stocks in that. I have no conviction in that stock, I'm not interested in it, I'm not gonna follow it. I'm just gonna get rid of it and put that money to better use. GitLab. I got carried away with Yen Liao. Yen yeah, Liao, yeah,
2: yeah. I was trying to remember who the expert was. Yeah. yeah the guy
1: yeah. who had such conviction in stocks. Yeah, yeah. And, and I bought this it and it's been an absolute dog of a stock. It? Oh, shocking. I'm down about 70%.
2: But I guess the question is how much of that is company specific and how much of that is you bought it at, at the, the start? Of the tech. Exactly. Yeah, and then 2022, yeah. everyone got smashed. Yeah.
1: yeah. Well, no, I, I yeah, true. It's but I guess, a combination of both. But I guess if I just, you don't know the company at all. Yeah, yeah I did yeah, no yeah. research. I just got caught up in his. So I'm getting rid of that. That'll be a loss. I did a random purchase of um, VAP, which is the Australian Property Index. Oh, um, the Vanguard. Vanguard. Property. Yeah, Vanguard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Doing all right, but again, unnecessary. I'm probably going to reconsider alternative assets and whatnot outside of my core. But
2: Well, I mean, like property wouldn't have done well in this rising interest rate environment.
1: Mm, well, yeah, and with what's going on in the commercial space as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then the Hydrogen's ETF. So I went in on the Hydrogen when we were talking about it on the show maybe two years ago or yeah. when it was first launched. You know, pr- pretty, you know, I, I but I think I'm just, is it feels like it's just way too early. It's performed really poorly. Um, and again, it's kind of like, I think the money can go to better use now. And when the Hydrogen thing probably becomes more plausible, it's time to reconsider. But for now, it's like, Get that into semi. Semiconductors are the way to go. So you just want
2: sort to? Of, you, you basically, what I'm hearing is you like chase the hot thing, and now you want to pull the money out of that and chase the next hot thing. No, no.
1: To be fair, hey, all, have you all heard of, of lithium. <laughs> no, all, all of that, as you see, like Woolworths. I've already got a position in Woolworths through the A200 and through BKI. So there's th- multiple overlap going on there. I'm not going to be taking any of this and putting it into new investments. It, to the point I made at the top, I want to keep just building my investments in. GEAR and G-Just, the leveraged US and Australia, and then the, re- the remaining core portfolio. So Europe, Asia, and away we go. But that's what I'm doing, Ren, taking all of that and, um, and, and putting it into sort of my core I do still have a bunch of cash white powder sitting on the sides at the moment for my...
2: You've got white powder sitting on the sides? <laughs> yeah. I think you mean dry powder. <laughs> I do mean dry Maybe powder. that's what you're taking the <laughs> investment gains and using it on.
1: Dry powder, <laughs> sitting on the side, waiting for opportunities that pop up in the satellite as we go through uh, conversations with experts and, and doing the research that we do on, in the, on the individual side of things.
2: Nice. Now, uh, uh, there is one dot point here that you haven't touched on, but you've written Bitcoin approach, dot, dot, dot. So I've got to ask.
1: Well, my approach at the moment is I'm DCAing back into it because um, of what happens with this halving event that is due in 2024 and will it play out? but I'm just interested to know what your your Bitcoin approach is because we haven't spoken about crypto much and you know we do have the crypto show, but for me, it's just a very small portion of my portfolio that I'm just starting to spit some cash back into.
2: Uh, yeah, so mine is I have an automated uh, investment. So we get paid every fortnight uh, and I have $50 that goes to crypto every fortnight, 25 into Ethereum, 25 into Bitcoin nice and that's just like i i wouldn't have checked it for maybe a year but it's just 50 bucks and for me like that's enough money that uh, like it's it's not going to be life-changing money if bitcoin goes to the moon yeah but it's like at least i'm in the game dollar cost averaging so i'm not thinking about it but if it all goes to zero like 50 bucks a fortnight is you know manageable it's a uber eats order yeah you know it's what KO will cost in a year. Like it's, yeah. you know, it's it's not something that, um, that I'll lose sleep over losing. Yeah.
1: Well, they say that it, this is the time um, with the halving coming in 2024. So we'll see. It's performed pretty well this year. Anyway, just thought I'd give you guys an update on where it's at. Nice. So those trades are in process, if not, will be made over the next week. Obviously, you do need to consider the tax considerations. I'll have a fair bit of capital gains on some of those. I've (laughs) also made a fair bit of capital losses on some. (laughs) So, it kind of all nets out. And I I should say, I use ShareSite and this is not sponsored, but it is super helpful for that
2: stuff. Yeah, it's not sponsored, but I think we have a code.
1: I think it's just ShareSite.com slash EquityMates. And I think you get four months free. It's actually free if you have less than 10 holdings as well, which I don't, so I pay for it. it. To be honest, it is... It is expensive. Um, Annoyingly expensive for what, like how often you actually engage with the platform, but it's worth it. Yeah. If that makes sense. As we said, not sponsored. It's it's not, it's not.
2: (laughs) Annoyingly expensive, but useful. Like that's a product that, it's going to be sticky. It's <laughs> yeah. like uh, yeah. I don't like paying for this, but I can't not pay for it. Exactly. I still use a spreadsheet, but I, you keep talking about share sites. So. All right,
1: Ren. Well, let's move on. We want to have a chat about the IPO window. Yeah. There's a few headlines coming out, and the question is: Is the IPO window opening?
2: Yeah. Well, let's start with what is the IPO window?
1: Yeah, well, the IPO window is a period of time on the markets where everyone starts IPOing. And and listing. Conditions are right. People are feeling confident. Investors are willing to get behind companies and start deploying cash again. And you start to see more companies list because the confidence that their IPO will be successful is there.
2: So this is global. 2021, there were 3,260 IPOs. Wow. So think about what was happening in 2021. The market was ripping. People were buying monkey JPEGs for millions of dollars. Like uh, if you're a company that needed to raise or wanted to raise money and list on the share market, it was a good time to go and sell yourself. 2022, the market changed and um, you wouldn't want to IPO because investors were worried. They weren't going to be throwing money at you as as easily. So, 3,260 IPOs in 2021. How many do you think were in 2022? Uh,
1: 300.
2: Oh, no. no, no! no in no. the thousands? Yeah. Okay, it, 1,500. It halved. 1,671. So, it halved because yeah. all of these companies that could have IPO'd said, now not the right time. And the only companies that did list were companies that had to list. Now I've got American stats. So similarly, 2021, there were 1,035 IPOs in the United States. How many do you think were in 2022?
1: I'd go with the same thing, half.
2: 181. Whoa. Yeah, so it went from a bit over 1,000 to a bit under 200. And so the IPO window has been closed. The only things that have been listed are companies that need to list. But at some point, the IPO window reopens. And there's normally a few sort of landmark IPOs that signal to the market- We're ready. We're ready. So after the tech wreck of 2000 uh, and that bubble bursting, there was a few really lean years. And everyone points to Google's IPO in 2004 as the window opening again. And then from sort of that IPO in 2004 to 2007, 2008- Times were good. And then obviously the housing bubble in America, the global financial crisis, the IPO window certainly closed in 2008, 2009. And then people point to Facebook's IPO in 2012 as the signal that things were ripping and roaring again. And so, you know, both of those times it was a few years. Um, And so we're not saying the IPO window was opening, but it has been interesting that a couple of notable companies sort of are gearing up to IPO.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So two that have caught our eye and, are, as you said, are, are notable, and we're going to have a chat. So the first is Instacart Ren and the second is Serve. We'll start with Instacart, a company that a lot of people have been waiting for the IPO and that day is fast coming.
2: So uh, what Instacart is, is a grocery delivery app. They essentially your personal shopper, and then they deliver that order. They are not the grocery store. They're not Milk Run, if you're listening here in Australia, in the sense that Milk Run owned their own grocery supply chain. Um, they are literally just personal shoppers. They'll go to Walmart or Kroger or wherever and buy what you want and then deliver it. Now, that business model screens unprofitable yeah. to me. Yes. But the interesting thing is, unlike so many of its tech peers, Instacart is actually profitable.
1: Mm. Big story. Only recently though, right?
2: I think so, yeah. 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 So, it was founded in 2012. People may be familiar with the startup, accelerator, school, whatever you want to call it, Y Combinator. Mm-hmm. So, they, they, Instacart is a Y Combinator company. 2012, uh, it started. And in... 2021, it was valued at $39 billion. So a pretty impressive story. Massive, yeah. uh, revenue of $2.5 billion up 39% from the year before, $1.8 billion. And as you said, 2022, it was profitable for the first time, $71 million in profit, which just it's like full credit for mm. such a labor-intensive labor intensive low margin business. Doing grocery deliveries profitable is incredible. Pitching yourself as a tech company doing it is also pretty incredible.
1: So Ren, that's Instacart. The second is Serve. One that I actually hadn't heard of. It's pretty fascinating though. It's an Uber-backed robotics delivery company and it's IPOing.
2: Yeah, so it's had a bit of a interesting corporate history. So it was Postmates was a big Uh, competitor to uber Eats in the states it was part of postmates then uber acquires postmates and then spins out serve robotics as its own company but it makes what can only be described as cute robot deliveries (laughs) like look at these little eyes on this thing the the way to to the 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 way to picture
1: it is like a very low profile like plastic box on wheels Yeah, And your your Uber delivery gets put in this box and then this little robot essentially drives on the sidewalk to your house and you open the door and there's a little robot there (laughs) with a hot pizza inside.
2: So if people remember um, Domino's delivery robot back in the day, do you remember this? Uh, I think it was called Drew. You're shaking your out no. at me, okay. yeah, no. No. When when I think it was when we were even at uni, or maybe right after uni, Domino's were experimenting with quite a similar robot. I'll you can it, oh, yeah yeah yeah, and okay. uh, it's similar like low to the ground, four wheels, put the pizza in it, and then it's got like little eyes, and it it'll walk along, it'll drive along the sidewalk and deliver it to you. I don't know where that got to with Domino's. Uh, this is Domino's Australia we're talking about. But yeah, Serve Robotics has built something similar and they plan to launch 2,000 of them in the United States. I think starting in maybe a year or two.
1: It's pretty fascinating. If you want to have a good idea of what it it does, just YouTube it, just YouTube Serve Robotics and uh, you'll see a whole heap of demo videos of it in action driving down the sidewalks of America. I mean, a lot of questions remain, you know, can people steal it? How do you gets hit by a car, it's never gonna make it to you. Like, <laughs> there, true, uh, true, there are a few things that could go wrong here, but I think it's pretty fascinating. You can see how it's, it would cut down considerably on on uh, staffing and labor costs for, for Uber. Um, or any delivery company, yeah. really, um, if, if they manage to nail it. And uh, yeah, definitely have a look at the video. It's pretty fascinating.
2: So um, they describe their sidewalk bots as capable of level four autonomy, which means that the vehicle can handle all aspects of driving in certain conditions without human intervention. So it's a, like it's a self-driving robot. Yeah. Um,
1: well, I just watched the level four video and it's pretty... It's it's. It's great. Stops at the stop. Stops um, stops at the zebra crossing. Knows when to go. Cars coming. Stops. Swerves. Trees. You name it.
2: <laughs> wow. Looks pretty good. Cool. Yeah. So uh, that company is not going to be raising as much as Instacart, and it will not be fetching the same valuation as Instacart. But it is an interesting one. It is IPOing. Uber owns about sixteen percent, and Nvidia owns about eleven percent. So it's got some deep-pocketed and powerful backers, but again, like this is a company that wouldn't have been IPOing in 2022. No, an unprofitable self-driving robotics company that's pioneering food delivery. Like, how many red marks would that have against you in 2022?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's probably got a few AIs in the in their uh, investor report, which is probably la- allowing it to get off the ground true, at the moment. True, true. So the fact that Nvidia this type has backed of company, it, yeah, 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 yeah,
2: but I guess. This is going to be something to watch because if the IPO window starts to open, investors start to get a little bit more excited about the prospects of these companies and they start to feel a little bit more confident about, I guess, the general economic environment. Very quickly, quite a pessimistic mood that we're sort of feeling in the market might turn, Mm, mm. which is exciting.
1: Yeah, I'd love to see it.
2: Now, the question is, Bryce, two companies IPOing. Let's say you could only invest in one. Would you rather?
1: Well, you can actually see Instacart using Serve. Like,
2: but could you see Serve using Instacart?
1: Well, what, they would. Why would they need to use Instacart? That's my question. That's the, my point. Well, I mean, I can see Serve having use across multiple business, solving a lot of problems for what is a very difficult problem to solve for retail.
2: For like the last mile. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: So if you can nail that and take out labor costs in that, great. Instacart, probably one of the only profitable, very competitive space. Oh, I'm backing in the underdog serve.
2: Yeah, same. Yeah. For me, like the the story of Instacart is incredible because it feels like such a bad business to be in. Like you've got labor costs, you're already dealing with a low margin product, you're competing with people's ability or well, people's just getting off the couch and driving to the supermarket, which isn't too difficult. Um and oftentimes might be quicker. So it's like it's a it's a tough business to be in and a tough business to keep growing in. Whereas um yeah, robot deliveries, I mean Epic. Epic, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I guess I guess the question is there are a number of companies that haven't IPO'd that we're sort of all hanging out for. And if the IPO window opens, what are some of the companies that you'll be watching uh, and potentially wanting to invest in?
1: I mean, the, the dream is SpaceX, but yes. that's not gonna IPO.
2: No, not after Elon's been forced out of two of his companies, yeah. yeah. yeah.
1: Well, I mean, Stripe and Reddit are the two that just constantly pop up. Yeah, uh, I remember we've been speaking about those two on Ausbiz years ago, True. so like, yeah, yeah, yeah. they're always there.
2: I mean, the theory with Reddit is the fact that they did—you know how they changed their API pricing and all of that stuff. The argument there is that that is a something that you do just before your IPO and you want to get your financials looking good. It's what Twitter did just before it IPOed back in the day. So, could be coming soon. Window could be opening. Could Companies be opening. could be getting ready. A lot of coulds there.
1: (laughs) Well, let's let's wait and see. But we're going to take a quick break. And then on the other side, we'll be back with a question from Lauren around uh, investment bonds. So, we'll be right back.
3: Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds.
1: All right, so we're back. We've spoken about the IPO window and, uh, and my portfolio, but we have a question from Lauren around essentially in understanding what investment bonds are and how they could play a role in her portfolio. So let's take a listen.
3: Hi, Bryce and Wren. Hoping to understand investment bonds a bit more. I think my understanding is that they seem quite a good opportunity Uh, especially for someone who's on kind of a higher income bracket. But I just, there doesn't seem to be heaps of information out there. Like I've been kind of floating around the internet looking at, looking, searching for some just to kind of read up about them a bit. And there just isn't much material. Hence I kind of was like, oh, I know some people for the job for this. So like I even, I ended up on a couple of fund pages and just couldn't quite, follow their process I suppose. So I think, I think my questions are not so much kind of what are they like I've got a general gist but I suppose the average punter or you know the listeners on the podcast will probably want a, a one-on-one on them. It's more around kind of who are the big players and how do they achieve I suppose a, a positive financial outcome once you've accounted for the the benefit of not paying capital gains tax. Uh, looking forward to hearing your nerdy deep dive. Keep up the good work. Uh, Thanks, Lauren from Melbourne.
1: So, thanks for the question, Lauren. Uh, If you want to ask a question, just hit us up at ask at equitymates.com and we'll do our best to answer it or include it as part of our Ask an Advisor series. So, an investment bond, something that's not part of my portfolio ran and I'm assuming it's not part of yours, but essentially it's a managed investment. It's usually operated by insurance companies and it's where your money, like most investment pools, it's pulled together and then invested in underlying assets. So there are different investment options available. They can invest it in cash, fixed income, shares, property. But it, it, it's pretty straightforward. There's there's not much more to it from from a I guess a structural point of view. The difference is in how they actually operate and and work. And their biggest advantage is is the tax side. They are sometimes known as tax paid investments. And that is because earnings on the underlying investment, so if it's in fixed income, if it's in shares, they are received by the company that operates the bond. And then those earnings are taxed at the corporate rate of 30% before being reinvested. So if you're in a high tax, marginal tax rate of, of h- higher than 30%, you're actually getting a tax advantage by... Uh, having your investment in these because the, the return on that is invest, is um, taxed at 30% rather than your marginal tax rate. All of the returns of the investment while invested and upon withdrawal after a 10-year period are then not included in your personal income tax as well. So, they're designed for a long period of time, 10 years, if you hold for more than 10 years those returns are tax free so it's a it's a it's a great vehicle for sort of long term a lot of people use them for their kids education putting away money over 10 plus years to help pay for kids education so yeah it's a really interesting vehicle one that i don't have in my portfolio but i can definitely see the advantage of particularly if you are in a in a high tax bracket
2: i think the the key thing to keep in mind is there is a tax benefit but what you really want as an investor is just the best after-tax returns possible. So there's this article from Stockspot that we'll include in the uh, show notes because it's it's quite an interesting, it's a, it's a good deep dive. It talks about the different investment bond providers that we'll get to in a second. But they've surveyed eight growth investment bonds and they said that the average five-year return is 2.9% per year. Yeah right. Yeah, and then they look at how that compares to a portfolio of ETFs after tax, and even after you pay tax, you you do better. Return. So I think yeah. like the key thing to keep in mind is just uh, what are you investing in, what do you expect that return to be, and is that even factoring in the Worth tax, it. yeah, is that going to give you the best return? Yeah. Um, but if you tick a lot of those boxes, it's a great vehicle. For me, this is a vehicle where it's like speak to a financial advisor and 100%. make sure it's setting up properly yeah but I think if you are interested there you're, you're mainly going to life insurance providers I believe yeah, yeah. so here's a few names that you can Google uh, generation life AMP IWOF, key invest Commonwealth Bank have one apparently Australian unity so there's there's a few more you can go to this Stockspot spot uh, article and and flick through it all and um, but yeah, to your point, it's not something that I've invested in so far. No,
1: it's too far down the risk curve for me at this stage, too too conservative. You know, they're people who are maxing out super contributions, investing for the next generation, long-term investors, as you said, you know, putting it away for particular reasons or looking for tax efficiencies. They're the type of people where... This becomes interesting, but for me, Ren, as you said, the they're not necessarily set up as huge capital growth, yeah, uh, capital growth uh, products. So,
2: so I think here's an interesting one as well. So. The conclusion here, uh, investment bonds may be appealing to Australians with a high marginal tax rate. Yeah, so, that's that one, the, the tax. The other one, or parents or grandparents who want to invest for their children or grandchildren and who want to avoid the hassle of transferring the assets later. So, I think that's one uh, that you can look at. Scott Pape writes about investment bonds in his Barefoot for Kids book. Yeah. Uh, so, we'll give uh, Scott a plug there. Nice. Um, I haven't read the book, but... I know that he does write about it. So, if you are interested, if you do have kids or grandkids, and you're um, looking, or you own a high marginal tax rate, um, there's certainly something that you can look into. But I think for us at our stage of life and our current income levels, it's not something that we're uh, is in our portfolio mix.
1: No, but thank you for the question, Lauren. We'll include links in the show notes to some of those articles that uh, give a bit of a deep dive and and hopefully that can also contribute to what we've spoken about. But Ren, that brings us to the end of today's episode. A lot of ground covered. If you do have a question, you can send it through to ask at equitymates.com. We'd love to hear from you. But otherwise, Ren, we will pick it up next week. Sounds good. Any advice is general advice only and has not taken into account your personal financial circumstances, needs or objectives. Before acting on general advice, you should consider if it is relevant to your needs and read the relevant product disclosure statement. And if you're unsure, please speak to a financial professional. The hosts of this podcast and their guests may have positions in the companies mentioned. Equitymates Media operates under an Australian Financial Services Licence
2: 540697.